Hey, good morning, everybody. I am so excited to be here. Um, I have cared about and prayed for Union Hill for over 30 years. So when I first came to Redmond to plant Meadowbrook Church, one of the first people I met was Tom Osborne, uh, along with a few other pastors. We regularly got together and prayed. Uh, a few years later, when you called Ben back from Wisconsin to be your lead pastor, he just stepped right into the prayer circle that had been going on for a while. Uh, we've done a, a few things together through the years that some of you may or may not remember. I recall some prayer gatherings that have been hosted here, that have been hosted at my place. I think we did a marriage enrichment thing one time together. So um, I really commend you for having uh, the practice of sending your pastor on a sabbatical. I think it's a, not just a blessing for him, but it ultimately enriches the health of uh, the church family. So well done. And uh, I know you'll be praying for him and Catherine regularly over these next few weeks that God does a meaningful and deep work in them. Uh, as we said, we're going to be uh, in the book of Colossians for the next few weeks, and so I encourage you to have a Bible or have uh, your device uh, and your Bible application on and open. Uh, even though I will have some of the scripture printed for you, uh, I think you find it helpful to have it open right in front of you, and as we're talking about various things, you, you will reference it. Uh, we're calling these talks true or false, and that knowing the difference matters for your life. Um, I'll say more about Colossians and why we're uh, titling that as we are. Hey, everything this morning has been so uh, pointed toward what I think God wants to say to us. And so... Uh, to the song lyrics, if you were mindful of those along the way, to what Diana shared just a moment ago, and uh, the theme of the uh, retreat, some of the content there, uh, it is all converging for what I think God wants to speak into our hearts about right now. And so let me encourage you to not just have on a student hat where you'll learn a little bit more about the Bible. Um, but have on a son or a daughter hat uh, in the presence of your father who wants to commune and communicate with you. Remind you about some things that are true about you. Uh, we have a narrative that's consistent in our culture that tries to define you, uh, but God has the privilege of defining you. And so we're going to be reminded about some of that this morning. And uh, we'll do so with this little exercise. And so I hope maybe you have uh, a pen and some paper. Uh, if you do, I want to encourage you to write this down. It'll, it'll help you later if you will write it down right now. And so I want you to imagine a scenario with me. Imagine that God, our Father in heaven, uh, as it were, is kind of on the edge of a balcony looking down at creation. And he starts to zero in on the northwest of the United States. And you get ever tighter, he's into the Puget Sound. You get ever tighter, he's on 
the east side and Redmond and on Union Hill. And he's looking in on us right now. And I want you to imagine that he's got his angel Gabriel right there by his side. And as he is engaging, looking at us, just, just hanging over the balcony looking at us, when he sees you, he says, hey, Gabriel, Gabriel, look at, you put your name in the blank. Look at Scott. Do you know what I think about him? Do you know what I think about her? Put your name in the blank. What might be three words or phrases God would speak to Gabriel about you? How does he see you? What words come to his mind when he thinks about you? Would you take a moment and write down, put it down. If you want to hide it, that's fine, but put it down. Three words or phrases that God might say to Gabriel about you. Now, from where I stand, it's really fun to watch the thinking process go on. So thank you for, for thinking and working on that. How many of you have one or two words down? Do you? Okay, a few of you. Uh, and you don't have to, okay? This is all free. But uh, anybody willing to share, uh, allow me to know what words came to your mind that God might say about you? Anybody? Mine? Okay, I like that. Okay. Yeah. Uptight. <laughs> That's my wife, <laughs> Sherry, and uh, I probably probably know what some of that's about. <laughs> Anybody else? You'd share a word. Yes. Faithful. Faith. Okay. He would look at Gabriel and say, "He's faithful." I love that. Okay. Yeah. Grieving with joy, and he knows. Amen. So good to see you, Pat. Uh, so I, I did this exercise a few years ago. And um, I asked if, you know, there would be some people that would share like you just did. And one of the guys that did respond, uh, he had three words, and they were all the same. He said, if God were to speak to Gabriel and describe me, he would say, awful, awful, awful. Now, that guy was a good friend of mine. Uh, in fact, he was a leader in our church. Um, my whole experience of him was as a loving father and husband and um, a devoted follower of Jesus. Uh, I mean, I would have used a whole lot of different words for him. 
But that's how, and by the way, uh, he gave me permission to share that. Um, but that's how Rob saw himself. That was his perception of how disappointed God must be with me. And friends, um, it's challenging enough to be a Jesus follower, to be a devoted disciple, to navigate this world. It's challenging enough without the wrong message, the wrong conception of how God thinks about you and feels about you. As you were hearing from the women's retreat earlier this morning, he finds you delightful. That you are a treasure. Uh, a favorite word, that you are a beloved daughter or son. I, uh, you know, found it interesting a few years ago when the whole Star Wars uh, series of films began to be, you know, reamped up and new storylines came out and so on. Any Star Wars people in here? Oh, good. Okay, I'm not talking just to myself. So, um, some of you will know Carrie Fisher uh, was in that original trilogy that began in 1977. Some of you, yeah, you weren't here. Uh, <laughs> And then um, when they started reprising the uh, storyline uh, with some of the original characters around 2016, they brought Carrie Fisher back in uh, to continue her role as Princess Leia. And uh, that's like 40 years, right? And so uh, and maybe some of you will remember this, around 2016 when they started doing promotions for the film and they would uh, have some trailers go out and some um, photo shoots that you know, would, would tease the storylines and so on. When people saw Carrie Fisher, who they remember as lovely Princess Leia, who was 21 in the original series, when they saw her at 60, they were like, oh my. And she used the word body shamers. They were brutal on social media about how she had aged. And, uh, you know, of course, making the case of how she had aged poorly. And so after she had received a lot of this uh, cultural feedback, uh, and she's pretty, she was a pretty feisty woman. She's passed now. Um, she shot right back and was like, how dare you? talk about how poorly I've aged. I've aged wonderfully well. My body just hasn't aged that well. <laughs> and she said, basically, my body is just a vehicle that carries me, who lives inside that body, around. And there's some wonderful things that have happened with me, but you don't see it because you're all about bodies and image and such things. Now, um, she didn't quite get biblical in her response, but she was in the ballpark. Because you are way more than your body. You are way more than your appearance. And you are way more than your performance. So the person that's the real you that inhabits, that's inside that body, God says, I love you. Cherish, treasure, and I behold you as beloved. So, this is uh, something that we began to 
have nuance to and, and grasp when we find Jesus in the gospel narrative at the point where he was being baptized by John the Baptist. And you'll remember that when he's in the water with John, the heavens open up and that voice from heaven declares, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, you have to remember that at this point, Jesus had simply been a son to his parents. He had been a carpenter. He had been a day laborer. He hadn't done any of the great teaching. He hadn't done any miracles. He hadn't done anything that caused us to be in awe of him. And the father said, this is my beloved son. Uh, and when you and when I are in Christ, he sees us the same way. Uh, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter. Now that's in the face of all the cultural narrative. The voices that are constantly speaking in and around your life are challenging you to prove yourself, to accomplish something, to do something of note, to uh, earn things, to, to make a name, to have some fame, uh, to accumulate. And these voices are persistent and loud and constant and in ways that are insidious and dupe us into falsehoods. This is why we're calling the series True or False. We've got to know the difference between what's really true and what's, what's false. And particularly today, what's really true about you? So... Uh, when our world wants to say, uh, go and make something of yourself, achieve something, we call that vocation. Jesus calls it temptation. Because right after his baptism, what did he do? He went out into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasted and prayed. And he encountered the evil one who constantly tempted him to prove himself with spectacular demonstrations. Turn this stone to bread. Jump off this building. And so what we might call vocation, things that we want to be about to establish ourselves, he calls it temptation. Don't allow anything to define you but your father who loves you. Henry Nouwen uh, said it this way, it's hard for us to hear that voice that proclaims that we are loved in Christ. Not for our reputation or impressive action, but because God has loved us. And here's the key. He has loved us with an everlasting love. He loved you before your conception. Before your birth into this world. He's loved you with an everlasting love. The sacred romance said... Think about the part you find yourself playing, this world like a drama. The self you put on like a costume. Who cast you in this role? Most of us are living out a script someone else has written for us. We put on these false selves hoping to offer something more acceptable to the world. Who cast you in that role? 
we, uh, as Nowen says, we've got, to begin, we've got to become in tune with the voice of our Father who would define us and tell us what's true about us. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And as we wrap up this series, I'm going to spend some time on listening prayer, that we've, we've got to learn to discern what is he saying to us, about us, about the things around us. So, that gets us into Colossians, uh, because part of what God will say to you about you uh, is found in the salutation and the introduction to this little letter of Paul. Uh, to remind us uh, about it, Colossians is an epistle or letter written by Paul to believers in a, a little town or city called Colossae, which is about 120 miles east of Ephesus, if you can see Ephesus on your mind or on the map. Uh, it's a tri-city. Uh, Laodicea and Hierapolis were there right together with Colossae. Uh, it's probably the case that uh, Paul never got there. When he wrote this letter, he had not been there. Uh, one of the church leaders, a guy named Epaphras, uh, had been with Paul, who at the time of the writing is in prison, and had been telling Paul about what's going on in the lives of the believers in this church in Colossae, and thus Paul then writes to the church. Uh, you probably know some people from Colossae. They're referenced in other parts of the Bible. Um, but here's the backdrop to why Paul wrote. Uh, they were in a cultural context that was heretical. A lot of loud cultural voices speaking falsehoods into their lives. Some of it religious culture speaking lies into uh, their lives. And so Paul said, no, you need to know the truth. Here's the truth. And so today we'll talk about the truth about yourself. Next week, the truth about Jesus. We'll be talking about the truth about life, et cetera, as we move through the series. So uh, let's pick it up in chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Now Paul is addressing believers and as he addresses them he is saying things that are true about them. So it's not just uh, kind of like a throwaway introductory, you know, dear so-and-so. Uh, he immediately begins espousing truths in the salutation. Let's think about that for just a moment. He calls them, he would call us if he wrote a letter to Union Hill, saints, and I think you have been around long enough that you know that saints are not just those who have been so uh, tagged by the Catholic Church and they are, you know, old ancient people that 
we're known for whatever. But saints refers to all the followers of Jesus. The word simply means holy ones. And so everyone that gives their life to Jesus uh, is consecrated and set apart from this world and everything else unto the Lord. You, somebody said the word uh, mine a moment ago. You belong to the Lord. He's bought you with a price and you have uh, willingly given yourself to him in that way. So that, therefore you are a saint. He refers to them as brothers in Christ, which is a way to say family of God. He's not excluding women at all. In fact, Paul has a lot of wondrous, glorious things to say about women that uh, we'll get into some of those kind of things later. Uh, so he's, he's just saying family of God. So this is who you are. You're saints who are his family. And he says, you're faithful, you're loving, you're hopeful. We've heard about your faith, your love, and your hope. Now think about that for a moment. How do you hear about somebody's faith? Isn't that kind of an internal belief or trust that's inside of someone? How do you hear about somebody's love if it's simply the way I feel about people? How do you hear about hope if it's simply my mental disposition about circumstances? Well, uh, you do so because these things give expression. And so you know someone is of faith when they are living in ways that demonstrate faith. They're loving when they're in ways that demonstrate love. And they are full of hope when they, they live in such a way that demonstrates that. We'll say more about that in a minute. But how do they get there? Uh, they're learners. They're, that's the word we use for disciple. I like uh, the word Dallas Willard uh, always used, apprentice. Always learning from Jesus about how to do, how to be the Jesus life. And from whom were they learning? Well, uh, certainly, as is the case here, uh, you come to a point where you begin to learn from one another. But there, you know, God always brings key people into our lives that are also fundamental to our development. And that was the case for these guys here. They learned a lot from a guy named Epaphras. Let's look at the text as it continues. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. This is one of Paul's favorite words, beloved. And so I, I hope if it hasn't already, it becomes one of your favorite words for yourself and for one another in the body of Christ. He's our beloved fellow servant. We have not ceased to pray for you that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Now, why would... Paul desire for anybody to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. It's not so that you know a lot. But so that that knowing transforms you. Changes you. So this is why you don't want to just be here as a student of a book. What kind of data can I take in and accumulate? But we want to experience the author of the word while we're in the word so that we are transformed by the word. So he says, we're praying for you to be filled with the knowledge of his will, so as you have this outcome. You walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, bearing fruit in every good work, being strengthened with all power for all endurance, 
and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. There is so much there. Let's just briefly take a look. So what does it look like for you to be that learner, to be a disciple, to be an apprentice of Jesus? He says, well, uh, it begins to result in you walking worthily. There is an aspect to your character that has been being transformed that is a reflection of Jesus and what he is like. And it brings honor and glory to the Lord and it brings blessing to others who are around you. Uh, what's it look like to be a learner or a disciple? You are fruitful. There are good things that come out of your life. Uh, you are not some bland, vanilla, nothing, but there is a saltiness, a savoring, flavorful kind of thing that begins to come out of your life so that you are not just different from other people, you're delightfully different. It's reflected in your character. It's reflected in your competencies. You are competent to love. You become increasingly competent to love people, especially hard to love people. You become increasingly competent to be full of grace and to, to be giving grace in all kinds of grace-needed situations. Uh, you know how to forgive, and you do forgive. Uh, there's a generosity about your life. So all these fruitful things are emanating from you as you walk worthily with Jesus as his apprentice. Uh, you have a life that's strengthened, that is to say, spirit-empowered, so that there is, obvious to you, and uh, maybe obvious to others from time to time, you live with a wisdom that's beyond you. You live with a grace that's beyond you. You live with a generosity that's beyond you. Because you live a strengthened and empowered life that is also patient and endures the hard, harsh things of this world with joy. Now think about this world, hard, even harsh things, and how you're experiencing them cultural things, political things, uh, social, uh, whatever arena you want to get in, economic, health. And you are able to in, engage those things with patience and an endurance that's marked by a joy that's inexplicable outside of Jesus being real to you. You live with that notion, that, that truth that I'm an heir. So no matter my station in this life, no matter my possessions, my lack thereof, I'm an heir of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Everything that's a part of who God the Father is, He makes available to His children in some measure today and in all measure in some time to come. And therefore, above all other people, we're thankful. We are a humble, no, we don't deserve it, grateful people. This is who we are as learners, disciples, apprentices. To wrap up today's text, 
He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It just gets gooder and gooder. Can I say it that way? How gracious he is. What's it look like to be a learner or disciple? We're a delivered people. There is an entire unseen spiritual world that is oppressive, that breeds death, that seeks to undermine everything that God has beautifully and creatively done in you and for you. We've been delivered from that darkness and from that death. Redeemed. We were a slave to that broken darkness and we've been bought out of that slavery so that we have a new freedom in Jesus. We are redeemed. And to take that further, he not only redeems me, he redeems my story. And so the stuff that's a part of my broken past, my busted past, my sinful past, he redeems all that. And as Paul told the Romans, he causes it all to work together for good to his glory and the betterment of people. Redemption is this marvelous, incredible gift that's also marked by forgiveness. Friends, you have also been delivered from shame, from guilt. You are forgiven. And so what's true about you, when, when I uh, have had some bad performance or I've acted badly, and uh, I, I just have this wave of shame come over me so that I didn't just do something wrong, I just am wrong. I'm just some big screw-up the voice of the Lord would seek to speak into that, no, you're my beloved. Now what you did is wrong, violates what I want for you. So come, repent. Allow me to forgive freshly, wash and cleanse and renew. And let's go on. You're forgiven. So, how do these things become operational? This is what the Bible says is true about you. But we also, uh, as we were instructed uh, by Paul in another one of his letters, is that we work out our salvation. He puts these things in us. He declares these things to be true in us. And then we work it out. We, we cooperate with the Spirit of God for it to come out of our lives. And we call that kind of work practices or uh, the less liked word, discipline, the disciplines of the faith, the practices of the faith. And so uh, here's what Paul said about those Colossians. We've heard about your faith, your love, your hope. Now, how could they hear uh, about that? Because these Colossians were practicing these things. So when we talk about practicing faith, you, you engage your faith with what you do with your finances, So is it in God we trust or is it in the dollar that we trust? Every time you trust God over money, you're practicing faith. Every time you choose to be generous with finances, 
even to the point where you feel it. Maybe it hurts. It causes some level of deprivation for you. You're practicing faith. And so it is with your family. You know, the culture is after your family. The culture wants to speak into and shape the life of your family. And when you practice things within your family relationships that release truth and guard the heart and fortify the soul, uh, you're practicing faith. And so it is when you think about your future. And maybe your future is marked by a certain financial challenge or a health challenge or some other relational challenge. But as you are trusting God about your future, you're practicing faith. And so it is with love. We love God. We love others. We love self. And every time that we are engaging in loving ways in those arenas, we are practicing love. Now, you get it. The more you practice, the more proficient you become. And so when we talk about loving God, this gathering is a practice of you loving him. If you engaged those songs earlier, you were using expressions to love on the Lord. In a moment when we receive these elements from this table, it'll be a time to commune and love the Lord. Uh, experiencing oneness with him and with one another when you engage in service, when you're filling your pantry out here, what, uh, you're building tiny houses, whatever you're doing, these are love expressions to God. Loving others, family, friends, and I said EGRs, you know what that is, extra grace required people. You know anybody like that? Before you answer too hastily, you are an EGR <laughs> to someone. And so there are people that God's had in my life. I just needed a little extra grace to be able to be kind, to be patient, to be long-suffering, to serve, to care. And then uh, with respect to yourself. And depending on your makeup, if you are anything like me, that may be your most challenging arena, to love self well. And of course, our culture is constantly calling for us to esteem self and put self first. I'm not talking about the cultural narrative about self-love. I'm talking about the biblical narrative where we are receiving love from God and responding to that love in ways that are self-caring and self-nurturing. So when you get a good night's rest, when you give a sabbatical to your pastor, these things are, are loving expressions for Self. I live at a reasonable life pace. I'm not harried and hurried and crazy all the time. These are matters of practicing love. And then practicing hope. Where day by day and moment by moment, you know I'm a sojourner. I'm passing through this world. Everything here is temporary. And so I don't hold on to anything too tightly. I hold things loosely so that at any given point, if God wants me to release something to someone else, as an extension of his grace and blessing, I'm ready to release things. Or I'm ready to be released from this world when that time comes. Because I have a hope that's been established by Jesus that says I live forever with the Father after he has done whatever formation things he wants to do in me and through me in this world. Laying up treasure 
there. So, what are you practicing? You say, well, I don't know that I've been that mindful. I don't know that I've been that intentional. Then perhaps you have a next step to take today. And perhaps on that same paper you wrote on a moment ago, you'd want to say, Lord, you just stirred my heart. You just reminded me I need to be practicing blank and fill in the blank. This is the wondrous thing about a gathering like this. You've got one talking head at the front, but the Holy Spirit of God communing and communicating with every single heart in the room and online personalizing what he's saying to all of us. So what's your next step? Part of your loving him and worshiping him today is to say yes to whatever he has just stirred you about. Let me pray for you. Lord, we just are so awed by your love for us, it's sometimes hard for us to believe and to comprehend, to live in that space. So by your spirit, would you enable and empower us to live there, to be your beloved son, to be your beloved daughter, to navigate a hard, harsh world, by your grace and power. For every commitment made right now regarding a next step, Lord, would you bless and seal that commitment to your glory and to their joy. In Jesus' name, amen.